Welcome to Multifamily AP 360, the show where we discuss 360-degree views on mindset, passive, and active multifamily investment. If you're looking for tips and strategies, or just want to learn from the experiences of others, both good and bad, then listen on. This is Multifamily AP 360 with your host, Ramakrishna Chunchu. And today's our guest is Aran Chapman from SNMC. Welcome, Aran. How you doing, Rama? Good, good. Thank you. Thank you for joining. Oh, thanks for the invite. I appreciate that. I'm never one to turn down an opportunity to sit and just spout off to people. Awesome. A little bit about Aran. Aran is a veteran in finance industry with 25 years of experience helping clients better understand source and finance cash flow positive investment properties. He advises over 100 clients a month in the acquisition and financing of their investment properties and primary residences. Aran is ranked in the top 1% of mortgage loan processors in the country in an industry of over 300k licensed loan originators closing in excess of 100 transactions per month. So with that, Aran, you want to add anything to your background? Yeah, so it sounds like some of that stuff needs to be updated. From what I understand, I've been reached out to by some of the people that survey mortgage lenders to kind of understand who's doing what out there. And they say there's over a million of us that are doing these loans between licensed loan originators and registered loan originators at your at your banks, basically. And just recently, I was ranked in number seven in the United States of that million plus people, the number of transactions that we close. Since we work with real estate investors, you said we can do over 100 a month for real estate investors. It's been an amazing journey. It's not been the easiest journey, but it's been an amazing journey. It's not getting any easier. I mean, with the market shifting, rates going up, it's getting just as tough as it's ever been, if not tougher. Sure. Before jumping into rates, all the stuff, I want to ask one question. How to become top 1% number seven mortgage loan processor? So I was in a battle. I'll just tell you that. So when I got into it, I came from the world of you know, running. I was on a cattle ranch growing up. And then from there, went into the oil fields of Wyoming, working for a welding company. From there, working, running heavy equipment, driving truck. I did some over-the-road truck driving. And then actually went to the work of the mines in northern New Mexico in 97. When they shut down that project, I came home. I had a wife and an infant son. They were living in Arizona. I go to northern New Mexico. I come back every 13 shifts for about six days. And I was without a job. I couldn't find a job to save my life. And I thought, you know, I've got a resume that's awesome. There's no way I shouldn't be able to get a job quickly. But I couldn't. Everybody I applied with said I was overqualified for the job that they had. And it got to a point that I was actually willing to take a $10 an hour truck driving job to haul landscape rock because I needed some money. And I drove over to this location where is this landscape yard. I interviewed with the manager of it, and he told me the same thing everybody else said, which I was overqualified. And, you know, I'm 23 years old. I'm wiping tears from my face as I'm walking down to my truck. I got into the truck. I started it up. And before I put it into gear, I picked up this coupon that I had sitting on the dash for free diapers. So I couldn't even afford diapers at the time. Put it in gear and started pointing myself towards the grocery store. And halfway to the grocery store, the gas light comes on on my truck. I had not driven that thing long enough to know how long I could go with the gas light on. So I found a grocery store that had a gas station right on the corner. I pulled up to a gas pump. I ran my debit card because it was the only form of payment I had. So I said a quick prayer, ran my debit card. I got a decline because my account was overdrawn. So 
In my mind, my prayer was not answered. So I went through my truck, found a few coins. I locked the doors on my truck. I started walking the parking lot of that grocery store for what felt like a couple of hours. And every time I find a coin, penny, nickel, quarter, whatever, I look around, make sure nobody's watching, pick it up quickly and shove it in my pocket. And after a period of time, I gathered enough change to buy two gallons of gas. Now, this is 1997. People still carry change, right? Gas was about 89 cents a gallon, if I remember correctly. You could quickly, I mean, you could actually get something like that figured out in a couple hours. Can you imagine what it'd be like today? So I exchanged my two hours of my life for the gas. I went inside the grocery store with the coupon to get those diapers. And standing in line, I don't know if you ever felt this, but nothing feels worse. I'm sure there's definitely worse feelings, but it felt pretty dang bad to stand in that line with one item. And I had a coupon for that one item. I quickly paid for it, put my head down. I was getting out and I heard my name being yelled from the doorway coming out of the grocery store. I looked up to see the face of a guy I used to work with when I was digging swimming pools. He was in the office doing all the scheduling. So he asked me how things were. I shared the same story I just shared with you guys. And then he said, hey, let's go to dinner. I'm like, dude, I can't afford it. And he goes, no, I got a gift certificate from a client. I don't work in the pool industry anymore. I do mortgages. I'm like, dude, the only thing I know about mortgages is when you watch TV as a kid, the old man, the old lady are losing the farm to this thing called a mortgage. That doesn't sound like a fun industry to me. It sounds very negative. He goes, no, no, let me tell you about it. So he took me and my wife to Red Lobster a few days later, introduced me, connected me with the branch manager of a broker shop. I cut a foot off of my hair. I shaved. My mom bought me some business-like clothes, and I started as a telemarketer in December of 1997. Now, that was where it started. And then I started figuring out how this business worked, went into a very, very well-paying position, doing very well before 2008. 2008 happened. I got in a motorcycle accident on August 8th of 2008 that put me in a wheelchair. I broke 17 bones, had a massive concussion, even though I had a helmet on that my, erased my memory. So I had to start over with no memory. I lost everything. When I woke up there and I started to understand what was going on, I had lost everything. I was completely broke again, right? But the only benefit was, right, I couldn't grow a beard when I was growing up. I had this patch right here. I tore up that side of my face and it filled in. I woke up with a full beard. I'm like, Sweet. I'm not going to trim it till I learn how to walk again. But then I had to come back to an obliterated business. I had to, of course, learn how to walk again. And then I had to train my brain because it only worked every three minutes. And that's when I discovered the real estate investor coming into Arizona buying turnkey real estate. What I'd done is I'd obliterated everything else that I was doing in business. Realtors, everybody, they're all out of it. I had to find a new channel. Now, if you ever heard of Blue Ocean Strategy, but that new channel was the real estate investor coming into Arizona, buying the very, very cheap real estate. Nobody wanted to do those loans because they were really, really low loan amounts. They didn't pay a lot. I didn't get paid a lot per transaction, but I just did a lot of transactions. And then they went from Arizona to Indiana, Indiana to Texas, Texas to Missouri, Missouri to Tennessee. And I see, you know, I'm expanding my footprint. And as a result of that, I get to the point where I can do a thousand transactions a year with a big team and now ranked in the top 10 in the United States for what we do. And it's exhausting, especially right now with the market doing what it's doing. But the main thing I do today is I educate people on what's going on in the interest rates, where I believe we're headed, and that we're not heading the places we think that we're heading. You know, the world keeps saying, hey, get an arm, and then you can refinance later. That's not a good move. When you understand the history of interest rates and what's been going on, we're not going back to where we were. We're going back to where we used to be prior to 2008. Got it. Thank you very much. So one follow-up question. What is your average loan size for this, you know, 1,000 transactions per year? You know? About 120 to 130. Got it. Thank you. So, and also you touched an interesting point, like current in high interest rate and inflation stuff. 
share me your take on that share me some background around like macro level you know how this works and what do you see next you know a 12 months or 18 months or 24 months let's kind of get real quick into something here in fact i don't have the right thing open but it, it still shows the exact same data so let me show you guys something here real quick let me do a quick share screen if it'll let me yes here we go it's gonna let me so this is the history of interest rates since in, I have a different one's more updated. This only goes up to July of last year, but it shows the average interest rate from 1971 till 2009. And this is 30 year fixed for people buying houses to live in. This is not for investors. This is just your homeowner. What we're showing there for those guys is an average interest rate of 9.1%. So then if you go into the average interest rate from 1971 to 2022, the average rate was 7.76%. And that was for homeowners. Again, 30 are fixed for homeowners. Then if we go into the time of quantitative easing, are you familiar with the term quantitative easing? No, you can elaborate on that. Okay. So quantitative easing is when the, when the Fed came out, basically the Fed chairman came out in 2008 and said, hey, we're going to start doing what's called quantitative easing, which is they're going to take U.S. treasury capital and invest in the markets. And what they did is start dumping money in the markets. So all the interest rates are derived for is supply and demand of money. The more money available to lend, the lower the interest rate becomes. The less the money available to lend, the higher the interest rate becomes. It's supply and demand, right? They increase the supply significantly, so the rates were very, very low. So by doing that, ever since January of 2009 up until now, or actually 2022, it's actually higher now, the average interest rate was 4.02%. Then you hit, let's say we had the pandemic of 2020, right? March 20th to March 30th, we had... Before March 20th, we had this major freak out in the markets. A lot of banks were selling off their assets, which were bonds, which was mortgage-backed securities, and it pushed the interest rates up significantly. The federal government dumped in $1 trillion between March 20th and March 30th of 2020. During that window, they shoved in so much money after March 20th that the average interest rate from March 20th of 2020 to the end of 2022 was 3.3%. So... That window of time from 2009 till 2022, we're not going to see those rates again. So let me go a little bit deeper into this and show you some charts. Now, these charts are what they call the mortgage-backed securities. I'm going to show you two different charts. First is going to show you the current chart. Actually, I'm showing you a longer-term chart. You're going to, yeah, this is a longer-term chart. This actually shows you all the way back to 2008. Now, this is where these securities were pricing in 2008. And each one of these particular bars here, you'll see a red one or a green one. They represent about a week's trading. So you can see the direction of the market. This line right here, what I'm using this yellow line for is to represent where the price or the value of that security was or the amount of money in that security to lend out to people buying in real estate and utilizing conventional financing, where it was right when the Fed announced quantitative easing. The day they announced quantitative easing, it jumped, meaning money started flowing into it. Fed's money, investors' money, other countries dumping capital in, pension funds, all kinds of stuff. From that time all the way till this point is where the Fed had continued that quantitative easing. They tried to back out of it here. The whole market freaked out. They got back into it. Here's where COVID was, was right in here. As you can see, they announced what they call quantitative tightening right here on October 13th of 2021. They announced quantitative tightening, meaning we're going to be pulling out. We're not going to put so much money in there. The whole world started getting out of it. As you can see, it just fell through the floor. Therefore, interest rates keep jumping, 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 jumping. They more than doubled in this window of time. 
Now, interesting thing we have here, the reason I keep this line up, I'm going to go ahead and get to another screen, is we've got, so what we have here is that same line, this yellow line represents where that pricing was back in 2008. What I show here is moving averages, meaning every so often you have a 21 day, you've got a, well, you have a 14 day, a 21 day, a 30 day, a 50 day, a 100 and a 200 day moving average. I'm watching the 200-day moving average because that has been a ceiling for us in the security, meaning as bond traders are trading in that security, buying into it or selling out of it, they're using certain markers to tell them when to sell them and to buy. We're never getting above that 200-day moving average very convincingly. So you may, the longest we spent was three or four days above it and sell back below it. That's a ceiling driving that particular security downward. And as it's driving it downward, pushing rates upward. This last week, that 200-day moving average crossed that value point that we had back in 2008. Now, the reason that value point in 2008 is something such noteworthy thing to discuss is because the market was handling the interest rates or investing in this particular pool without the Fed's involvement up to that point prior to it. Then after the Fed's involvement, you saw that chart where they just stayed way above it for so long. They're not involved anymore. I believe that's our ceiling going forward. And if the 200-day moving average pushes below it, that will then continue to keep drive us down and drive our interest rates up. And as rates continue to go up, we're going to be into a market where we're going to see interest rates, I believe, for homeowners somewhere in the sixes and sevens and somewhere in the sevens and eights for real estate investors. Now, my message here to people is don't let this worry you. Don't freak out about this because when in time have we ever heard anybody, any mentor of us tell us, you want to start a business because you're going to be making money day one. No, they say you want to start a business and have three to five years worth of reserves so that way you can make it profitable in about five years, right? That's been the way it's always been. Real estate is no different. It's actually better than that. But people get really caught up in something called a cash on cash return that was only possible to get massive double digit cash on cash return in low interest rate environments that we're not going to see in the future. So now it's going to weed out the people that don't understand real estate and get back to the people who understand it that way it was way back. Like I said, I've been doing this since 97. I was at this for 13 years before things started to move the negative direction. So let's do some quick math here on this. If you got, you got the capability to do some math? Yep. All right. So we're going to look at this from the angle of you're going to buy a property for $200,000. you are going to rent it out. So let's just say you're starting out as an investor. I want to get in real estate investing, but I missed the opportunity. Well, let's talk about the opportunity that lies before you right now. A $200,000 house. And let's say you're going to put 20% down. What is 20% of $200,000? 40K. 40K. That's right. So let's just say that 40K you have costs of $10,000. So now you're investing a total of 50K, right? Yeah. So if you're putting 20% down, it means you're financing 80%. What's 80% of 200,000? 160K. 160K. So everybody who's listening, write this down. You got $160,000 loan. You've invested 50,000. Now you have basically one job as a real estate investor. You're the CEO of your real estate investment firm. You got to pick the right people to work with. That's how you get the right board, right? A lot of people want to try and find the cheapest people to do everything. No successful business has ever become successful because their CFO, their COO, and their CIO is willing to take minimum wage. They got the best in the industry. And I'll argue that's who we are, me and my team. And then you find the best people to operate in the real estate side. So that's one part of your job. The other part of it is to pick the right asset to buy, which is the real estate, that you keep reasonably rented for the entire time you own it, and you can raise rents. So if you did that, 
you pick the right property, keep reasonably rented the entire time you own it, and you can raise rents on it. Who pays off that $160,000 loan? President or tenant? The tenants. So yeah. we're going to take that $160,000 and we're going to divide it by 30 because that's how long it's going to take them to pay off your 30-year mortgage, correct? Yeah. So I'm telling everybody, don't pay the thing off and I'll tell you why. Just keep paying it. So $160,000 divided by 30, what do you got? Around uh, 52 or no, 51. You're getting really close. $5,333.33 per yeah. year. Averaged over 30 years. Guys, there's an amortization table here. I'm talking about the long haul. Yeah. I'm not talking about the ones and dones thing. So $5,333.33. You invested $50,000. So if the tenant is paying down $5,333, you hit your divide button and go into the $50,000, type in $50,000, and you'll find... You are increasing your 50000 by 10.6% of the original 50000 every single year just by buying a house that somebody wants to rent. That's it. Now, here's another thing we're talking about. We live in an inflationary environment, do we not? Yes. Property values are going up or property prices are going up year over year right now? Let's say average four or four to seven percentage. I do a YouTube video twice a week to my clients. I just did that research. They anticipate between 5 and 6% for 2023. We hit 6% 2022. Yeah. So let's just use 2.5% for our example. Yeah. So if you've got a $200,000 house and it appreciates by 2.5%, how much did it go up by? It's to maybe 250, 205. Yeah, so it's $5,000. Yeah. So yeah. it went from 200 to 205,000. Check you out, man. It's math. Yeah. Guys, wisdom. So, so you got $5,000 increase. Yeah. Well, you invested 50,000, right? Yeah. Your investment is the 50 grand. It went up by two and a half percent. That means your 50,000 went up by 5,000. That's another 10%. We're already at 10.3% increase. Yeah. 10.3 before you make a, excuse me, 20.3. You got 10.3 on the amortization of the loan. Another 10% here. That's 20.3% before you made a single dollar of cash flow. A single dollar. Now let's talk about that cash flow. A person would look at this and they'd say, if I'm buying a $200,000 house, right, I should make $500 a month cash flow. Let's talk about a hundred bucks, guys. Nobody thinks a hundred dollars is sexy. Nobody wants a hundred dollar a month cash flow on a $200,000 asset. Let's talk about this a second. Since we live in that inflationary environment, you get to raise rents, correct? Yeah. Do you know how much the rents are going up year over year in the United States right now? Yeah. There's some places seeing still 20% increases. I got kids in apartments. They're calling me all the time about what's happening out there. So let's say we're only raising it by 3%. You're getting, say, $1,800 a month in rent, and you're making $100 a month cash flow, and you raise the $1,800 by 3%. What's 3% of 1800 bucks? Around maybe 54. Right on, 54%. Yeah. Excuse me, $54. It went up $54 the next year. Yeah. It's not sexy to you, and you're not going to get a tenant freaking out and wanting to leave. But your cash flow just went up by 54%. And the next year you do the same. Now it's 20 some odd percent, right? You can see double digit increases in your cash flow. But does the lender get to increase the payment on the loan because of inflation? No. No. They have to accept the exact same dollar amount every year, regardless, right? They don't get the opportunity to increase the payment. So what you have here is you have a lender that's going to charge you over 30 years. Principal and interest on 30 years on this would be $402,747.56.
Many people will be tempted to pay that off faster. Take my cash flows and pay it off or do a debt snowball. No, you don't want to do that. Why? Because with inflation, the dollar's value is doing what every year, Ron? Decreasing. Decreasing, right? And how do we know this? I was 22 years old. 22 years old, I went to a Taco Bell. I got two bean burritos, two tacos, and a drink for $1.99 on their value menu. I have a 16-year-old daughter. A few months ago, I was driving her to the school. There was a Taco Bell. She goes, hey, because we had to do an after-school thing. She wanted a couple of tacos. We drove to that part through that drive-thru. I ordered that exact same thing. What do you think I paid? Maybe $5, $6, you know? I paid 15 bucks. Yeah. I paid $15 for something that 20-some years ago is 24 years ago, 26 years ago. Damn, I'm getting old, man. 26 years ago, I paid $1.99 for, right? So we know that the dollar is losing value rapidly. Yeah. If you take the average inflation we've seen over the years, which is 8%, we've actually been higher than that if you look at the real rate of inflation, not the made-up inflation with the CPI. And we can talk about it if you want to. That means what you're paying back is not the $402,000. You're actually paying $152,466.23. The dollar's value is declining every time you make a payment. So you borrowed $160. You siphoned off of the money getting from the tenant who's paying it off for you. You're keeping a piece of it, and you're increasing it, and you're paying back the lender less. The lender made $152,000 while you're making this compound growth. Who's winning? You as an investor. The investor is killing it. Guys, don't get wrapped up in what the interest rates are doing. Don't get wrapped up in cash on cash return at all. We can do this math with you. I can show you. In fact, you can go to your app store right now. Get the QJO investment tool. It stands for the quit jerking off investment tool. I made it. I had that created. That's my app. You can do that math right there on the amortization calculator. There's four calculators there. In fact, if you want, you can just go to my website, AaronChapman.com and send me a message. Say, hey, send me the videos for your calculator. I can send you the videos on how to use all four calculators as an investor. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing and elaborating in layman's terms. I really appreciate it. I'll do my best, man. We need to change how people are seeing it. Yeah. It's really changing. It's just taken back to where they should have been seeing. The marketing has been so strong for so long about cash on cash return because the interest rates were so low that people can't get their mind back to where it should be. It's like going to a car lot and saying, I want a red car. They're going to sell you the most expensive red car there is. They're not going to sell you on what's the best car for you. Awesome. And what habits are helping you to be successful, Aaron? What's really helped me to be successful more than anything is being one whose my goals are not about how many loans I'm going to do. My goals are about how many different people I'm going to influence and bring value to. The more people I try to help, give more confidence to as a real estate entrepreneur, the more business I've ever done. And so my goals going forward is talking to and influencing, giving great data to as many people as possible. At least five people a day for me, five people a day from ahead of my staff, five people a day for my rate guy. Everybody's going to have five people. The more people we talk to, the better we can affect change in this environment. Awesome. And is there any books that impacted your life? The greatest book ever, 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 ever. This, The Master Key System. As you can see, I've flagged the hell out of it. I've written in it. I've marked it. This thing has traveled with me to multiple different countries. I take it hunting. I've been dropped on an airplane on an airfield in rural Alaska and floated down the Yukon River with this. It's that important to me. This was a correspondence course created in 1910. A person would write in, pay for the course, and every week they get a new lesson. They'd read the lesson over and over again. And at the end of each lesson, there was a mental exercise, learning how to train your brain and focus on what you want. 
What you get is what you think about. And that's what we've trained here. And what's crazy about it, it talks about neuroscience in 1910. If you've heard of Joe Dispenza, there's another great book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Yeah. He talks about the same stuff, but he has neuroscience to back up what this guy said back then. Awesome stuff. And how can listeners can connect with you, Aaron? My website, AaronChapman.com. If that doesn't work, just type in Aaron Chapman into Google. I mean, yeah, do a Google search. I'm the only bald-bearded redneck in the lending space. You'll see a soccer player. You'll see an author. I'm also an author. I've got four books. I'm working on another one with Robert Allen. And then I've got, and then there's a pastor out there. I'm the only lender out there. Reach out to us. You don't have to do business with us. We just need to be sure that you understand how to be successful in real estate. Because if you fail, we'll eventually fail. I violently oppose failure. Awesome stuff. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for sharing your insights. Yeah. Of course. That's what I'm here to do. And I'll keep going. I'm like a wind-up toy with a battery. Sure. That's the end of this episode of Multifamily AP360, but we'd love to continue to help you on your journey. Head to ushacapital.com slash podcast to join our email list for more tips and strategies. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. This is Multifamily AP360 with Ramakrishna Chuntu. We'll see you next time.